I'm reading from Isaiah 53, it's verses 1 to 6. A well-known passage, but can I encourage us to listen to this as if we've never heard these words before. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm quite sure I'm not the only one who's thought the following. That there have been times over the years when I've seen loved ones, and for me it's Heather and our girls, go through deep pains, hurts, challenges, and even sickness, and I wish I could literally take the pain from them and even bear it myself in their place. And yet knowing the reality of my inability to do anything other than comfort and pray, it doesn't remove the natural desire to want to be, if you like, a substitute and carry the burden for them. And possibly the older I get, uh, if you like, the deeper this sense grows, and especially when it comes to those who are young and facing challenges and illnesses way beyond their years. And I think if this is the case, which I'm sure it is for us too, then what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, gives us a glimpse of a much greater love and desire that runs throughout the whole of history. When Jesus says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? See, here we have a revelation, not only of the Father's desire to do the same with us, his children, to carry us, to hold us, to love us, to reassure us, but also by the supernatural presence of Jesus' life and death, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to do that which we cannot naturally do for ourselves. In other words, carry the wounds of another and offer as a gift of grace, healing that lasts not just for a moment, but into eternity along with every other good gift that the Father gives us that flows from heaven. Isaiah writes this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So remember when... The girls were young, learning to ride the bike. 
that moment kind of parent-child moment when you have to let go, you have to take off the stabilizers, you give them those two weeks, you can't just tell them to ride on the grass, there's got to be that moment when it's concrete, pavement, and you let go. And I remember well with both of them, letting go, paddling away, suddenly crash, the knees are cut, bruised, blood, and all of that. And you know that moment where you can hold them, you can comfort them, but you cannot take away the pain and the cuts and the bruises. This is our human limitation. But you know when we fall in life, as we learn to journey through it, Jesus learned to journey through it. This is not only able to carry us and hold us and love us as we fall, but by the cross and the resurrection, this is the miracle and the mystery. He's able to take the wounds, our wounds, upon himself so that by his stripes we're healed and we're made whole. This is our salvation. In the words of the great writer Henry Nuon, he is the wounded healer. And I want us to take time reflecting on this truth, actually bearing in mind the testimony Heather has shared and what this means for us. What are the griefs he's borne? What are the sorrows he's carried? What are the transgressions he's been wounded by? What are the iniquities that have bruised him? Well, in short, it's our sin leading up to our death. It's our sin that have brought these griefs, sorrows, transgressions, and iniquities. Paul writes in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love the alpha analogy of the wall, and we've said this a number of times, if you've got the, the base and the ceiling, and uh, you, know, you place the most godly person you know, on this wall, the, the Mother Teresa's of life, and you place her right at the top. And then you place the most ungodly people we think of. I don't think I'm just going to name names, but you know, at the bottom. And then you say, well, where would you place yourself? And we're, we're, we're Brits, we're from Jersey, somewhere in the middle. Don't want to be too humble about this, maybe a little bit below that line. And then you're just reminded, you know, the benchmark is not the ceiling, it's the sky. All have sinned and for short of the glory of God. No exceptions. And you know, since the fall of creation, and we look throughout history, we see the way that the world and communities and individuals, ourselves, we've turned away from God. All have sinned and the consequences of sin are many and multiple. The way, for example, sin pollutes, it's toxic. Mark 7, 21 to 23. For, for from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All of these evils, Jesus says, comes from inside and makes a person unclean. But sin also enslaves. John 3, 34. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin punishes. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, and sin separates, Isaiah 59, but your iniquities have separated you from God. In other words, alone we're lost. In other words, on our own, we're broken. 
jars of clay that just been shattered on the floor. Without God, we live separated lives. And yet in the most glorious and beautiful collision between the holiness of God, as we sung, and the unholiness of our lives, Jesus came into the earth and he came to bear our sins and our wounds, to offer us forgiveness and healing and salvation. And how did he do that? By taking it all upon himself. The perfect person paying the price for the imperfect, for our sin and death. By satisfying the wrath of God, by redeeming us, paying the ransom price, by justifying us by grace and reconciling us into right relationship with God. That's why the story like from the prodigal son... You know, the son, the son that represents all of us as God's children, you know, going away, doing our own thing. And at some point in our lives, like everybody here, at some point in your life, you came to your senses and said, God, I can't do this on my own. And we've heard testimonies about this. And we come back to the Father, and he doesn't meet us with judgment and anger and pointed fingers. He meets us with love. He runs to us and embraces us with his love. He places the robe of forgiveness upon our shoulders and that ring upon our finger, reminding us of who we are, children of God. And you see, we, we know this in our minds. But so often, we pay little attention to this in our hearts. You know, when we sin, and the word sin is falling short of the glory of God, missing the bullseye in our, our lives. When we sin, Jesus has carried that sin on the cross for us. When we hurt another person or we are hurt by them, Jesus has borne that hurt upon the cross for us. When we're wounded or when we wound, the stripes that cut so deep into his body as he hung on the tree is the very balm that brings healing to us. Jesus did all of this for you and me. As Paul writes in Romans 5, much more then, Having now be justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. You know, that word reconciliation can also be translated atonement. The at one with God, revealing the extraordinary love of God in Jesus, being willing to take our place, paying the price for our sin, bridging that gap so that we can receive forgiveness and life, and so that you and I can draw near, and we do this in faith. All because of his great love for us, making us one with the Father by his perfect sacrifice. By his wounds, we truly are healed. Just to help us absorb this a little bit more, a bit like a sponge in water, 
I want to read us a part of an account, and some of you may know this, written by Dr. C. Truman Davis. He's a practicing, or he was, ophthalmologist. It's quite hard to say. Ophthalmologist and pastor. He studied the passion of Christ as a physician, as a doctor, as a medic, and wanted to give a medical explanation of what Jesus endured on the day that he died for you and me. It's, it's a long account, and I'm just going to read the last bit. Jesus suffered hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, and searing pain as tissue was torn from his lacerated back, from his movement up and down against the rough timbers of the cross. Then another agony began, a deep crushing pain in the chest as the pericardium, the sac around the heart, slowly filled with serum and began to compress the heart. The end was rapidly approaching. The loss of tissue fluids had reached a critical level. The compressed heart was struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood to the tissues and the tortured lungs were making a frantic effort to inhale small gulps of air. His body was now an extremis and he could feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. The realization brought forth his sixth word, possibly a little more than a tortured whisper. It is finished. His mission of atonement had completed. Finally, he could allow his body to die. With one last surge of strength, he once again pressed his torn feet against the nail, straightened his legs, took a deeper breath, and uttered his seventh and last cry. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The common method of ending a crucifixion was crurifacture, the breaking of the bones of the leg. This prevented the victim from pushing himself upward. The tension could not be relieved from the muscles of the chest and rapid suffocation occurred. The legs of the two thieves were broken. But when the soldiers approached Jesus, they saw this was unnecessary. Apparently to make doubly sure of death, the legionnaire drove his lance through the fifth interspace between the ribs, upward through the pericardium and into the heart. The 34th verse of the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John reports this, and immediately there came out blood and water. That is, there was an escape of water fluid from the sac surrounding the heart, giving post-mortem evidence that our Lord died, not the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but of heart failure. He died of a broken heart due to the shock and the constriction of the heart by fluid in the pericardium. Jesus died of a broken heart for you and me so that we would not be condemned to death. He took our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities so that we would be free to know the life that he has for us on earth and to carry on into eternity with him. He paid the price, as Peter writes in his first letter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. 
I don't know what that does to you when you hear those words. I hope it moves you. And it moves you closer to Jesus. You see, what exactly is this healing that we've been received? Well, firstly, it's a healing that awaits us in heaven. It's a healing where every tear will be wiped away. And we will be completely and perfectly restored, healed, and at one with Jesus. But it's also a healing that daily sanctifies us and continually makes us more and more like Jesus. I mean, that really is the testimony of Heather and the way that she's even able to be in a marriage with a guy, never mind me, (laughs) and put up with me. The fact that she walks out her healing day by day. And I know many of you may not have been in a similar situation some of you have. But your daily sanctification, the making us more and more like Jesus, that holiness that the Holy Spirit pours into our lives, continually making us like him, forgiving our sins and our wrong reactions, healing our hearts, healing our souls, renewing our minds, as well as our bodies. That journey of healing in all the wounds that we have in life that he takes us through. It's this healing we receive as well. But then, of course, it's the healing where the supernatural power of God releases the miraculous into our midst. And in a moment in time, healing takes place. As Jesus reminds the disciples of John in Matthew 11, he says, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The arms are healed, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. The kind of healing that gets our attention, and yet actually points to the greatest healing of all. Our salvation, our life with Jesus, now and into eternity. We do know, when we read of the healing miracles in the gospels, that every single person who was healed died at some point. And went to be with Jesus. Well, that's the hope and the prayer. And I suppose the question for us is, well, what is our response then to the wounded healer? The one who's done so much for us. The one in whom we really do truly find lasting healing. Because of what he did on the cross. And I think the first response and the right response is thankfulness. That deep and total gratitude and thankfulness for all that Jesus has done for us, for you, and for me. And I know there's a sense in which we cannot thank him enough. But maybe we do not thank him enough each day. And I have a sense today that there are some here, you need to come back to Jesus. Acknowledging what he's done for you. Recommitting your life to him. There is no other way. And I'll pray into that in a moment.
our first response has to be thankfulness. But there is a second response. And there's probably a third, fourth, fifth, and many others, but I'm just going to give you two. Thankfulness. And there are a second response is this. To know and to live out the calling on our lives, which is essentially to be like Jesus, which actually means for us to be wounded healers ourselves. So I've seen Heather do this time, time again. Someone who could have hated men, and yet out of her wounds has brought so much love and life to many men. And I'm proud to say, especially to me. See, for those of us who know the healer, and we're thankful for the way that he heals our wounds. See, being willing to offer ourselves as wounded healers is what the world needs right now. Just someone up the road as St. Lawrence just saying, Phil, what is going on in the world at the moment? Just the mess. I, I, I mean, we have some of it reported in the news. You know, the one thing that astonishes me, we've got the war in Ukraine. So little attention is given to what's going on in Ethiopia. Horrendous war, civil war that is going there. And it doesn't even hit our headlines. The fires that are taking place. What is going on in the world? The world needs wounded healers. The world needs you and I to bring healing in multifaceted ways. If there's a moment to pray for healing, pray for healing. Pray for that miracle to take place. Whoever it is and whoever you're with, go for it. It's he's the one who does it. So just have peace in your heart and pray. But of course, healing is so much bigger than that. You know, someone is hurting, get alongside them. Help them work through their hurts. If someone is afraid, be the peacemaker in that situation. God will use us in so many different ways. Knowing our own wounds and weaknesses to bring healing to another. He's just looking for people to say, here I am. Send me. You see, hurting people, I've said this before, hurt people. But loving people, love people. And especially loving people who know their own weaknesses and wounds and limitations. And yet, nonetheless, are willing to help bind up the wounds of others. A bit like the Good Samaritan. I mean, what a story we're told. A Samaritan who's going through this valley. And it was renowned for people being attacked. He had his own fears to deal with. He was on his own journey. And yet he sees by the side of the road a man who's wounded. And he stops and he binds up the wounds and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to a place of rest. And not only a place of rest, but he resources that rest, being willing to come back. See, Jesus is saying to us, go and do likewise. He knows our hearts. He knows the struggles. He knows the wounds. He knows the testimonies that we have, each of us. 
And yet he's saying, be like Jesus. Rise up. Within the wounds that you have, go out and be that wounded healer to those that he's placed alongside us. And you see, if we do that, what a difference it would make in our community, in this island, and further afield. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our wounded healer. But Jesus, we offer ourselves to you to bring healing to our world in your name. Can I invite us to stand together?